You're listening to a podcast from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Joe uses 1 Peter 3.15 to talk about hope. Today we're going to talk about the hope that we have. To hope means to desire something and to cherish that desire with anticipation. And as Christians, our hope is anchored in Jesus, who has gone before us where God dwells in glory. And God's Word promises that we will be with Him there one day. The future reality is already secured by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that is a hope that death cannot contain. And I personally believe that hope should be displayed in the way we live our lives every day. Today we will read a verse from Peter chapter 1, and it's all about sharing that hope to others who need it. When was the last time you had a conversation about God? For most people, the unfortunate and surprising answer is not very often. Spiritual conversations or conversations about faith are exceedingly rare, even for Christians who are most of the time reluctant to have them. A recent Barna study in the U.S. reveals that for many Christians, sharing their faith to others have become increasingly optional. And this speaks to me personally as well, because I also sometimes find myself asking the question, should I share my faith to this person? Do I really have to do it? And we must admit that we are all guilty of looking at this undertaking as something optional. I'll do it only when I can, or when I have the opportunity. Some of us would reason that's not my responsibility. And it's hard to share if you do not have a relationship with a person. And it's hard to share if I don't know if I would be rejected or not. And I have better things to do. The truth is, most Christians are busy with other things. The day-to-day normal life, like jobs, kids, budgets, sports, weather, and what's premiering on Netflix next week. None of this is bad, but the unfortunate reality is that most adults don't seem to connect their everyday experiences with their faith, or at least they aren't talking about it if they do. And that's what the study said. There is a disconnect with what we do in our day-to-day normal life with the faith that we profess. Many of us have compartmentalized what we do every day apart from faith. But our day-to-day activity should always be an exercise or the expression of faith in one way or another. And sometimes, even when we feel God's hand strongly in something that happened, we don't tell others about it. For many Christians, they would say that as long as I try to live my life as a good Christian, I'm fine. But it's not enough that you try to live your life as a good Christian for others to see. Lifestyle evangelism is good. But there should be a point where you just don't live out your faith, but you share it, you speak it. If you call yourself a Christian, sharing your faith is not an option. It's not something that you can choose to ignore because you're too busy with other things, or because you feel that you are not adequate or equipped to do it. Our verse today from Peter chapter 3 verse 15 is very clear about this. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Some translations actually say, 
always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you. The Greek term for defense, apologia, is a word from which the English term apology and apologetics were derived from. And what we find from that verse is one of our calls. One of our responsibilities as Christians is that we are called to know how to defend our faith. We are called to know how to answer questions about what we believe and why we believe what we believe. For many Christians, it would be safe to say that we believe our Christian faith is not just a badge we carry, but it's something that we know that is central to our lives. What would you say if someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Because I asked Jesus into my heart? I was raised in a Christian family? Or someone shared the gospel with me? These are probably the answers to why you became a Christian but it doesn't answer the question why you are a Christian. Knowing why you are a Christian, I believe, is the first essential step in being able to answer anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Our journey starts when we hear and when we get to know that there is only one true God and we believe that He exists. It is impossible to go to heaven without believing that there is a God. But a mere mental acceptance of the fact that God exists is not enough to save a person's soul. In James 2.19, as he was addressing the Christians, he said, You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So while we possess the knowledge of who God is and we believe that He exists, we need one more thing to complete the saving belief. Otherwise, we will just be like the demons who just know and believe. We need faith, meaning we have to put our trust, our faith in what we believe. Know Jesus, believe Jesus, and put your trust in Jesus. Why? Because He is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because He is the truth and He is the life? And because you know, you believe and you trust that Jesus is the truth, that Christianity is true. Jesus said, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It is important that you know what you believe. That is the basis for your conviction. But it's not enough that you know what you believe. It is important to know why you believe what you believe. Why do you know and believe Jesus? Because you know and believe that He is the truth. Why are you a Christian? Because it is true. Because you have evidence to believe that God exists. Because she trusts what the Bible has to say about Jesus. I was reading a part of the speech of the Bishop of Canterbury a few years ago. And here's what he said. Evangelism is our duty, our privilege, and our joy. When the Bible tells us to be ready to preach the gospel in and out of season, when we are called to prepare to defend our faith, I hope it doesn't become like a kind of work that you just find yourself pressured to do. 
I hope that you don't drag your feet to your tag group or meeting someone for a Bible study. I hope you don't dread the thought of people coming over to your house for fellowship. I tell you, it isn't easy. You know it's a spiritual warfare because the enemy would try to thwart every opportunity and discourage you from sharing your faith to someone who is lost and who needs to know and believe Jesus. It's a calling that I hope we will embrace as a privilege and as a joy, regardless of the rejection, persecution, or even life-threatening challenges that we might face because of it. There was a letter written by a titanic hero who sacrificed his life to save others, and that has sold for an auction for about 74000 Australian dollars. We all know of the story of the RMS Titanic, the British luxury passenger liner that struck an iceberg and sank in 1912. There is a part of that story, however, that not a lot of people know of. One of the passengers on the Titanic was a godly pastor from Scotland by the name of John Harper. John Harper was on the Titanic with his daughter and sister bound for America to preach at the Moody Church in Chicago. He quickly made arrangements for himself and his six-year-old daughter Nana and his sister to travel to the U.S. on board the RMS Lusitania. However, he decided to delay their departure for one week so that they could sail on a new ship, the Titanic, which was about to make its maiden voyage. On Sunday, the 14th of April, 1912, on Sunday, the 14th of April, 1912, the day when the iceberg was struck, Harper attended a church service for the passengers. He spent the afternoon speaking individually to the people about their souls. It seems he was in the habit of seeking out the lost wherever he went. The Titanic struck the iceberg at 11.40 p.m. on April 14, 1912. As the call was issued for passengers to vacate their cabins, Harper wrapped his daughter in a blanket told her that she would see him one day, and passed her on to one of the crewmen. After watching her safely on board one of the lifeboats, he removed his jacket and gave it to one of the other passengers. One survivor distinctly remembered hearing him shout, Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Harper knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not ready. Gathering people around him on the deck, he knelt down and with a holy joy in his face, raised his arms in prayer. At that moment, more than a thousand people swam in the ice-cold water who could no longer fit in the lifeboats. Soon, John managed to find some object that had fallen from the ship in the water and grabbing it, the pastor began to swim from one person to another and asked them the same question. Is your soul saved? And when the other people were already getting numb from being cold in water, and when the other people were already getting numb from being cold in the water, John moved even faster. In the midst of all this chaos and shouting, he led people to Jesus. A few years after the tragic event, a man named Aquila Webb gave an interesting testimony at the church service in Hamilton, Canada. He said, I'm one of the six people who survived that terrible night in the waters of the Atlantic when the Titanic sank. 1,517 people died of the cold water and were swallowed up by the ocean. 
as I fought for my life in the water, in the midst of the screams and howls of all these people, a man from afar shouted to me, Is your soul saved? And I said no. But suddenly the wave covered the man, and he sank under the water. But after a while the wave lifted him up again, and he cried out to me in a weak voice, Is your soul saved? And I replied no. Then he cried out to me, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Again, a big wave covered him. And there in the cold waters of the Atlantic, I made peace with God, crying out to him for mercy. And summing up his testimony, he said, I am Pastor John Harper's last convert. After that big wave covered him, he sank under the water, never to resurface again. When I look at the wreckage of the Titanic, I am reminded of biblical truths that we most often take for granted. This is the folly of arrogance. The vice president of the White Star Line said that the worst that you could probably experience in the Titanic is inconvenience, but the Titanic is unsinkable. Someone even claims to have heard the ship captain Edward John Smith say even God himself couldn't sink the ship. The Bible tells us that pride comes before destruction. And I hope this picture also reminds us of what we are busy storing up for ourselves. Treasures here on earth and the vanity of the world. Things that moth and rust destroy. The picture of the Titanic on its maiden voyage in April 10, 1912 is a symbol of human pride and modernity. The Titanic was a spectacular feat of shipbuilding. And the picture reminds me of the kind of life we live now. Everything around us seems so stable, so beautiful. You have a rewarding career, more than a decent paycheck. You live in a nice house, you drive a modern car. Life is generally good. But there's one problem. There is a hole in the hull. And sooner or later, because of this hole, we will find ourselves in eternity. John Harper could have held on to it because hundreds of people are looking forward to hearing him preach the gospel at Moody Church. Or just the thought of a testimony of a Titanic survivor speaking about Jesus in church would be life-changing. But what motivated him was this hole in the hull. But what motivated him was this hole in the hull. He knew that there were men and women who were at the doorstep of hell, and he gave them hope. His life jacket probably saved the life of one man. But Jesus saved the souls of those who called on his name on that fateful night. All because someone shared the hope that he had. Because even in his dying moment, someone shared the anchor of his hope. John Harper died proclaiming only one name by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ. If you were in John Harper's place, would you give your jacket to someone else knowing that by doing it you will never see your daughter again? He said to his daughter, I will see you again one day. His daughter Annie Jessie went to be the longest living Scottish Titanic survivor. She died in 1986. But she never saw her dad again, 
if John Harper was so sure he was going to heaven that he could give his life jacket to a stranger, how could we withhold the same hope that we have to those who ask? A life jacket can save a person from downing. A life jacket can save a person from drowning. But we have a hope that cannot just save someone from drowning, but from eternal death. 2,000 years ago, that man laid down his life. He is the reason why we have this hope. And we are called to speak, defend, and share this truth. One day, John said to his daughter, One day I will see you again. Hope. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. For there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name Jesus. Be blessed, everyone. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more podcasts and for more information on Every Nation Canberra, please visit everynationcanberra.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra and on Instagram at instagram.com slash encanberra. We meet every Saturday at 104 The Valley Avenue, Gungahlin. Would you like to be connected to a tag group? Email us at everynationcanberra at gmail.com.